This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. Progressive conservative leader Doug Ford was in Hamilton yesterday. And uh, he was at a rally at uh, Carmen's Banquet Center uh, yesterday afternoon, late afternoon slash early evening. And uh, the new leader of the party says that he will support the one hundred, the one billion, one point three billion, actually, for LRT project. But said that if city council decides that they don't want to have LRT, they can keep the money. So if he becomes premier, forget about this thing and what it's LRT or nothing. He simply says, Hamilton, you get one point three billion dollars. You can spend it. Any, any matter of fact, he didn't even say he had to spend it on the transit. This is a, cha- a game changer, I guess, for people that are anti-LRT. Here's what uh, Mr. Ford had to say. Kathleen Wynne is saying, you're taking this LRT or I'm taking the $1.3 billion off you. We aren't doing that. If you don't want the LRT, you're keeping the $1.3 billion. We're putting it into roads. We're putting it into bridges. Taking it off you. <laughs> anyway, bad grammar aside, uh, it, uh, it does change significantly, I think, a lot of people's minds about this. Uh, as I had mentioned in one of my commentaries about a week or so ago, uh, if, in fact, Doug Ford does become premier... It's a, it's a game changer, and it's a game changer because in the municipal election, which is going to be just a few months after that, well, you got to know that the LRT or the continuation of the LRT is going to be a major, major concern as people go to the polls to elect a new city council. Donna Skelly is the counselor for Ward 7. She, of course, as you know, is also a progressive conservative candidate in this upcoming election, and she joins us on the program to talk about the implications of that. Donna, you were there last night. What was your read on the, of the crowd and, and the impact that Mr. Ford had? Well, there were about 500 people. We had three days to plan this, and there were about 500 people jam-packed into the room. That's a big crowd, Um, and they loved what he had to say. We can talk about the LRT in a minute, but clearly he's starting to resonate, and he has made it very clear he's reaching out to people of all party lines. He believes he has a message that, and I do believe it as well, that can resonate with young families, uh, young people, people of all backgrounds. And if last night was any indication... He has certainly accomplished that. Let's talk about that. And I don't know. My commentary about an hour ago at eight ten this morning was simply talking about uh, what I think is a very important voting block in this coming election, and that is disenchanted liberals. Uh, you know, Kathleen Wynne won a majority government last election, and she did it basically on the strength of the uh, the support they got in the GTA, and of course up the four hundred one corridor. Uh, right up to Ottawa, as it turns out. Off there. But uh, there are a lot of those voters you've heard of, Donna, and so have I, that have said, we just don't like Kathleen Wynne anymore, and we don't know that we can vote. A lot of them were ready to support the, the PCs under Christine Elliott, or maybe even Caroline Mulroney, uh, but they're very, very wary of Doug Ford. How do you, how do you try to change those people's minds? Well, I, I think once they meet him, first of all, he has to get out, and he is getting out. He is, is meeting uh, as many people as possible. He has promised that he will be coming back to Hamilton quite a bit through the election and leading up to the election campaign. He has said that he wants to get out and shake the hands of people uh, going in and out of all of our steel factories and our manufacturing plants. He wants to meet people, and once they meet him, they realize he's not the boogeyman that everybody is portraying him. He's a good guy. He's the kind of guy that I think most people want to you know, watch a ball game with or, or grab a beer. He's, he's an average Ontarian, and he understands business, and he understands what has happened to this province. And when I, and I've mentioned this before many, on many occasions, but I'm really, you mentioned disenfranchised, uh, frustrated liberals that are turning to, to us. Um, I, I see that and I hear that at the door, but I also do believe most people don't identify with any particular party. They 
they vote on liking a person, a leader, uh, mostly, or the party, uh, but they don't necessarily always uh, vote that, that way. So if you can reach them and, and share a message that resonates, and that is simply that we don't believe that uh, the budget that was announced last week or two weeks ago is actually something that's realistic or that the liberals can sustain or that they're tired of high taxes and, and, and high hydro rates, that starts to, to resonate and they, they, they simply say, we, we can't do it any longer. I have knocked on doors where people say, you don't even have to leave your literature, put up a sign, I'm tired of Kathleen Wynne. All right, and, but there are that, that I, and I agree, and I think I've heard from those people too that said they're yeah. tired of Kathleen Wynne. But Donna, you also know that a lot of people like the policy she's proposing. They may not like the cost of it, but they like the idea of uh, free pharmacare. They like the idea of free tuition for families that qualify. They like the idea of, of some of the other programs that she's put in. Daycare is another one that comes in, just since you're speaking of young families. And the concern that I'm hearing from an awful lot of people it, right now is, look, Doug Ford becomes premier. It's going to be Mike Harris all over again. Can't afford that, not getting that. Can't afford that, not getting that. And they don't want to see that. Well, you know, you may have heard that, but I haven't, to be honest with you. Excuse me for coughing. I haven't, uh, to be very honest with you, I've heard the opposite. I've heard people say, I don't believe this, and we can't afford this, and nothing is free. So you may be hearing one side. I'm just not hearing that. I'm still hearing that they don't trust her, they don't believe her, and they don't think anything is free. But they, but I'm saying, forget about Kathleen Wynne. We already know how you feel about that, and you already know how Doug Ford feels about Kathleen Wynne. But there are people right now that says, I don't trust Doug Ford. Because I don't think he's got the experience, and I think he's going to do the same thing that, that, that Mike Harris did. And you know what happened with the Common Sense Revolution. It looked great in the book. Talked to Mr. Harris when he was running in 95. But he didn't say he was going to download it on the property taxes, and he didn't say he was going to cut funding, as he did in so many programs. And they're afraid that's going to happen again. And I haven't heard Doug Ford say anything to try to assuage those concerns. Well, last night he did. He talked about, we've been accused of, there will be cuts. And he said, cut is not in my vocabulary. We will find efficiencies. And Bill, I'm... Donna, you know darn well that that efficiency is a a euphemism for cuts. Oh, come on, Bill. I sit at a city council where I could find efficiencies. Trust me. By doing what? By doing what? You either cut staff or you cut programs. Come on. No. Let's talk about... I'll take one, one example, one very minor example. We built a $600,000 washroom, a cinder block washroom that's open for four months of the year. Ottawa has said no more. We just had washrooms trashed last night in Ancaster. Why don't we do what, what other communities are doing? They went out, they bought for $200,000, they bought porta potties that are self-cleaning, so you don't even have to worry about cleaning them, and they move them around where they need them. That is one different change, and it's just one example, but you can find efficiencies. $6 billion worth, really? Absolutely. Yeah. And if you don't, of course, you'll resign. Of course, that's what they all say. Uh, I, I, well, not you, but the Premier. I, I'm, I'm skeptical, and I think a lot of Ontarians are. I'm glad it was a good rally last night. I'm glad some people came out to see this. But but I think what a lot of people are waiting to see uh, is put some meat on the bones, and let's talk about that. But I want to focus. I don't want to talk about toilets this morning. I want to talk about LRT. Okay. Uh, because that was obviously the takeaway from that meeting yesterday, that Hamilton gets to keep the $1.3 billion if Doug Ford is the Premier. You've been saying that all along. The Premier, of course, and and Ted McMeekin, who's the local MPP for the party, have said that it's basically uh, for transit or it's LRT or nothing. Depends on which day you ask them, I suppose. But now we have a clear direction. Now, you're still a city councillor and may still be after the election. We don't know what's going to happen in that. What does that announcement from Mr. Ford say, and what impact is this going to have on city council? I think it's a game changer. I really do. I think for once we have a, a person who's standing up and saying, 
that the money stays in Hamilton to be used not just for transit, but for infrastructure. And we have a massive infrastructure deficit in this city. And I travel across my riding and across the city, and I hear from people who say they don't want LRT. They don't want LRT. And they would welcome this type of funding for infrastructure. Do I think it's a game changer? Absolutely. Anybody now, as we move into the next municipal election, if the Conservatives win, you now have uh, an opportunity to elect someone who is clearly in support of LRT or not. And I think that that needs to be made very clear for every candidate in the municipal election. I know where the mayor stands. He's supportive of LRT. Now we have an opportunity to come forward with all councillors and say, if people in the city don't want the LRT and they want to keep the funding because that was used, it was hung over um, many councillors' heads over the past year. They used it as a as an excuse to support LRT, we would lose the billion dollars. Well, right now, under a conservative government, unlike Ted McMeekin, who said it's for LRT or nothing and you'll go to the back of the line, we are saying the money stays in Hamilton. So I think it's a clear, clear choice for, for the electorate. All right. The electorate is one thing. And actually, there have been public opinion polls done on that. And time and time again, the, the majority seem to be against the LRT project. And it's one of those things where the councillors who are supporting of it, including the mayor, simply say, well, that may be the case, but this is for the long-term good of the city. Uh, so those are the two arguments that are there. But you know as well as I do, Donna, that it's still going to be a city council decision, ultimately, what's going to yeah. happen here. And you know as well that a number of the councillors who were on side with this and and supported, and I use that term loosely, the LRT, was because they thought they would look terrible and very sheepish if they turned their back on $1.3 billion. Yes. Now, now the restrictions are off. The shackles have been removed. <laughs> How many of those councillors, and you know who we're talking about here, including yeah. a couple of your mountain colleagues and others Both that voted in favor, yep, uh, that are now going to say, I've changed my vote, I've changed my mind. I think they will. I really do believe that because they know the majority of their constituents don't support LRT. How do you go to the polls in the next municipal election this fall and say, I don't care what you think, I want to spend a billion dollars on this project when they are telling them we would like you to spend that billion dollars on infrastructure? They're going to change because they now have, as you said, the shackles are off and they have the ability to spend money on, on, on issues, on infrastructure that has a direct impact on their own constituents. So this is going, I still think it's going to be the pivotal issue in the municipal election uh, because it's going to open this discussion up all over again because now I guess you're going to see people, I guess, coming out of the closet and, and simply saying, okay, I, I never really wanted to vote for it, but I felt as I was being pressured into it. So it changes the dynamic. I, I think it's going to have an impact on the mayoral race. I think somebody's going to come up as a, an LRT candidate for mayor. Absolutely. Don't know whether or not they're going to be successful, but I, I can just see this changing the whole paradigm of what's going to happen in October. All I can say to you, Bill, is I, I get phone calls and emails from people who don't like the LRT. I, in my role as a, a city councillor and as a candidate for the Conservatives in the upcoming provincial election, it is raised constantly, and they don't like it. So I, I believe that there is, is a massive um, a, a number of people, the majority of actually of people in the city, that will uh, encourage their elected officials to reject the LRT and to embrace this opportunity to spend a billion dollars. And let's not forget, Bill, think about a billion dollars on infrastructure in this city and to address what is really a massive mess with our HSR. At the rally last night, a gentleman pulled me aside and said, look, 
we have people that are losing jobs because they can't get to work on time. So we have a problem with transit in the city. We have an opportunity now to, to enhance it. So this this is the project, and this is the uh, the announcement. I think that I know, I know you had hinted about. Frankly, it's it's not unlike what Patrick Brown had suggested, uh, but there people were rather skeptical about it at that time. But now that it's been reiterated, now that you know it's game on as far as the election is concerned, how many? Uh, let me do some numbers here, and I'm only asking you to speculate. I understand that. How many council colleagues on this current council would change their vote if they could vote again today? I'm just going right through it right now. I would say I know of three. I would suggest perhaps five. Which obviously swings the balance. Yes. Interesting. Very interesting. Donna, thanks. I I really think that the LRT is the issue in the municipal campaign. I think it's going to be an issue in the political campaign. I think it was, too. I think it was, too. But I think there was a feeling of fait accompli that, well, yeah, we're opposed to it, but we can't do anything about it now. And that's what some of the councillors have even told me. Uh, But that's off the table now. It is. And I I do believe moving forward, though, it will be a, a major, major, major player in the upcoming, both upcoming elections. Lots of other issues to talk about, but let's focus on this one for now. Donna, thanks so much for the time today, as always. Anytime. Donna Skelly, of course, the Award 7 City Councilor and also candidate, of course, for the uh, Progressive Conservative Party. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. You know, there are important issues facing the city these days, like, like the future of public transit and chickens in the backyard. I know, I know. Just like LRT, you thought this issue was settled. Well, no, it wasn't. I know in 2012, City Council decided to not allow fowl in the backyard. But, uh, well, one of the proponents uh, came back before Council yesterday. Her name is Christina Souza, and uh, she was pretty passionate about it. On average, one hen lays one egg per day. This provides food for low-income families. It teaches your children where food comes from. Eggs from hens raised on pasture compared to factory farm hens contain more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff. So that's the plus side for this uh, from Ms. Souza. But some of the councillors, including Robert Pursuta, who, by the way, is a farmer, were rather skeptical. I think it's just a novelty for a while. You may find people who want to do this and they realize how much work it is or what's actually cost them to raise the eggs or see that poor chicken dead out there in the wintertime when it, it freezes. Uh, and others had similar opinions. But it is something that City Council is going to have to wrestle with once again. Uh, Jason Farr is the Councilor for Downtown in Ward 2. Uh, he joins us on the Bill Keller Show to talk about this. Uh, Jay, thanks so much for the time. Thank you, Bill. Deja vu all over again. Well, sure. isn't it, though? I mean, you know, everything old is new again, and this issue is back before you once again. I know you and I talked about this back in 2012, about the issue, and uh, you, you've seen both sides of this. What, what's your read on what's going on now? Well, I, I'm glad you pointed out Christina's uh, delegation. It was uh, well-informed. She provided uh, some uh, very good literature and attachments to back up uh, some of the presentation. And um, both sides on the debate uh, agreed that it was uh, a wonderful delegation, and it was one that prompted me uh, to simply ask staff to sort of refresh and update the report uh, that they put together five years ago, uh, last term of council in 2012, when this issue came before us and eventually was defeated uh, after a bit of a topsy-turvy uh, couple of events from a planning committee to a council, and I think back the planning committee again, uh, and it was ultimately defeated. So I was simply looking after a good delegation for an update, and, and one of the main reasons, Phil, uh, of what prompted me to do so was that, you know, the, the delegate points out that there are many more municipalities that have now offered this opportunity to relatively few residents in in our neighboring municipalities. In fact, all of our neighboring 
municipalities. Yeah, so Toronto, so Toronto, Guelph, Niagara around. Falls, Caledon, and Newmarket have all come on side, and, and they allow uh, chicken and fowl in the backyards. Yeah, which wasn't the case even five years ago. I think I was using Guelph and Niagara as, a, as an example, and uh, certainly uh, the staff report after five years could, could use a refresh for those that, that, that may want to look into this a little further. Right now it's not the majority of the planning committee. Maybe it'll be the majority of council we'll see on Wednesday because I do intend to lift it from the agenda to give it a try with uh, our overall group, including the mayor. Well, let me get right to the point then, Jay. Are you in favor of giving this a shot? Absolutely. And again, um, you know, I, a lot of my arguments from five years ago remain the same. And Christina, you know, um, just reinforced that yesterday with, again, a good delegation. I mean, it's about food security for me. Uh, many of my residents five years ago uh, showed an interest uh, and, and, and that was their prevailing argument. Uh, but there are environmental aspects, chickens as pets. There's complaints we hear about noise and odor that may not be... Um, uh, well, certainly not noise. It's the rooster that makes the noise. And then the orders are mitigated with good bylaw enforcement and obviously with the responsible pet ownership, which is what we call our animal ownership bylaw, responsible pet ownership. And and I, I, there's a number of uh, folks that are interested in pursuing this, but I wouldn't say, Bill, it's an overwhelming majority of the citizens because those who have researched it and have an interest are also well aware there's a cost-associated initially and then there's a lot of work to uh, maintain for backyard hens all right but you've got people that say yeah councillor far i want to have this in my backyard i'm going to have my four hens in there uh but what about the neighbors i mean because uh now i i didn't grow up on a farm but i worked on a farm uh, when i was younger and so I, I i know some of the smells some of the odors some of the byproducts and uh uh let me put it this way you know if somebody next door to you has chickens yeah, and, 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 and sit, you want to sit out on your patio on a nice warm summer night, uh, it's going to be problematic for a lot of people. Well, I, I absolutely do not have any interest in going into this willy-nilly. All I was asking for yesterday is to look at refreshing a staff report that investigated some of those things five years ago uh, that may be informed as it relates to the kinds of complaints that uh, our neighboring municipalities that allow backyard hens have received. My understanding is they're limited. Uh, most are responsible and therefore those things that we hear about, odor, uh, noise, uh, are mitigated with responsible ownership. But uh, I, I was simply asking yesterday and as a, as a compliment to a great delegation, well, well-informed, very polite, well-mannered uh, uh, delegate who came forward as a citizen interested, uh, I was simply passing along that delegation, that information to staff and ask for a refresh on a, what is now a five-year-old document and, and, and come back to council and let council make an informed decision. That was something that, unfortunately, five of uh, nine weren't interested in planning committee uh, yesterday, but it's something I am interested in. Some of my residents do, do appreciate the, the, the value of having backyard hens. I don't think, Bill, if you look at the neighboring municipalities, we're talking about large numbers of people. I think we're talking about a, a nominal number of folks that would actually take take up the task of uh, managing backyard hens, treating them as pets and getting their eggs daily and, and uh, obviously with a limited number of hens. Uh, if we can use our neighboring municipalities, all of which who allow this, as an example, it's not going to be uh, overwhelmingly uh, urban turning farm overnight. I think that the report would probably identify a number of aspects to raising backyard hens, four to six backyard hens in a coop, 
and all the bylaws that would be attached to it would wouldn't be something that a lot of people would uh, find appealing. Have you had any discussion at all, or has anybody at the city had any discussions with those other cities that have adopted this and, and got some sort of read as, as to how it's being accepted or not accepted? Well, that was in the language of my motion. That was, okay. I was hoping for that staff, if, if, would, if it was approved, that they would reach out to what is now a growing number of municipalities who do allow it. So I, that, that was part of what I was asking for. Uh, because I'd, I'd be interested in that. Obviously, we've, we've talked about odor, and I, I know some people make noise. And I, and your point to that is, is yeah, people have cats and dogs, especially dogs, uh, that can be rather yappy and loud uh, different times of the day or night. And so, you know, that kind of balances that. I get that. Uh, but there are some other things, too, that I think uh, Councillor Conley uh, and Councillor Pursuta brought up, and, and some stuff that I have seen, uh, and that's that uh, if you have fowl in your backyard like that, it tends to attract vermin, uh, mice, uh, but also, let's face it, I mean, we've had a, a concern in this parts of the city anyway about coyotes that are wandering into urban areas right now. And, boy, if they know the dinner's in somebody's backyard, they're going to come there more frequently. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the many things I appreciate um, with respect to the way Councillor Connolly directly operates as the, uh, as the representative in the Stony Creek is that... Well, he's, he he's pretty candid. He's very candid, and he has experience, particularly on this issue. And so... Again, asking staff for a report back, um, I have no doubt that 100%, in fact, Bill, that that would be covered. Those sorts of uh, issues that Connolly would have had uh, 20, 30 years ago would have been covered. Same with Pursuta, who I very much respect, and quite obviously in a in a debate such as this, Councillor Ferguson as well, they have some farming experience, and they have they bring to the table with their arguments, and in this case, as appellants to the idea of four or five backyard hens in the urban area, um, uh, a great deal of knowledge, and, and, and uh, those are the kinds of questions, again, that had my motion passed, and if it passes at Council on Wednesday, uh, we'll address those things. And, and the great thing is, Bill, and one of the reasons why I was inspired by, one of the reasons why I was inspired by the delegate is that there's so many more examples in which we can draw from. Why are every other municipality up to this, and, and why not Hamilton? So, so that's the kind of thing we could look at in a report. And I, as I recall, Bill, I, I was trying to look it up yesterday after committee, and then something else came up. But that, that report was informed by uh, a number of different uh, uh, city uh, divisions, including uh, bylaw, including health. And I think those folks shouldn't have too much of a, of a hard time if council proceeds with you know an information report on this, updating five years ago. Uh, with, uh, you know, dusting it off and, and uh, being more informed than we were even then. I'm uh, just getting a couple of emails on, on the variations on the same theme, so I'm going to throw this out here to the conversation. Sure. If you were to accept this, and I don't mean just you, I mean, you know, the broader you, in other words, city council, would it say, yeah, let's give this a shot? Uh, would you ask people to license them? Absolutely. Well, I mean... I think what we would do is at least track it. Is it, is it in the form of a licensing? That, that may be. I mean, absolutely we wouldn't want to just pass uh, a bylaw that uh, doesn't uh, focus on tracking. I mean, it would likely be something if, and we're talking about a, a fairly big if now, if we're heading in the same direction we did five years ago where this was defeated ultimately. Uh, however, if we were to proceed, we'd probably proceed under the guise of a pilot, and if it's a pilot bill, then, you know, we want to track the information. But that's a very good question, because uh, if you open the door and, and, and we don't know who has backyard hens, then who knows what sort of, uh, you know, how do you enforce it? Municipal bylaw is obviously going to be a key. Well, you can only enforce here. it if you know where they are. 
Absolutely. And when we have a counter argument, like I'm hearing and respecting from the Connellys and Basudas and others, and ultimately probably Ferguson again, a council, and the, 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 the arguments are about noise, the arguments are about uh, uh, odor, the arguments are about vermin. Well, I don't want any of that stuff either. But if it's working elsewhere, how are they mitigating? How are they addressing those issues in places like Wealth, Niagara, Toronto, and all the other municipalities who've signed on for backyard hands? And again, I don't know how they handle that in the other municipalities. This is this is new to me. I didn't even know the delegation was going to be up there yesterday uh, with uh, Ms. Souza and her comments. But but it does raise an awful lot of questions. And we talked about odor and we've talked about noise, etc. And you, you've mentioned that maybe licensing could be in order. But does it also open another situation here, which actually may in fact be a cost to the city. I mean, do there have to be inspections then, that these things are being treated properly? Well, back to your licensing question. If that is indeed the case, we'd probably look for some sort of cost recovery model. So so those, maybe. I, I mean, again, uh, we're not at a point now where, you know, all we're asking for is staff. Oh, I know. This is this is all in the vein of what if. I get that. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, you know, you're, it's a very good question, and you asked me about licensing. My assumption would be there would be some form of annualized municipal cost, much like there is for a, a dog license, uh, to, to help us not only track who has backyard hens, but also enforce. And, and, but it is a different situation than dogs and cats, and, and I know you know people are going to say, "Well, it is." It, yeah, it is. But 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 you know you're talking about livestock in this situation, and and I would think that there would have to be some sort of regular inspections to make sure that everything is is copacetic with uh, those things, or is it going to be done on a complaint basis, or do you charge enough during that licensing fee that uh, that you cover the cost of those inspections? You know, I, I to my recollection, Bill, there was. Uh, part of the report we had five years ago did address that. I don't have it uh, before me, but I, you know, I can safely assume. Sound, that sounds that like you better dust it off, though. I, absolutely, it's been a busy time, and I, I was invited this morning to come on your program. But I, I'm glad that, that the interest uh, continues for some in the community. I'll tell you, in the last this term of council, there's, it's been a, a minimal in terms of folks contacting my office via email or phone calls uh, with. Uh, an interest in resurrecting this. And, and Christina Sousa yesterday was the first resident to actually take that step and actually come to the right committee and, and to speak her mind and make her case in a very well-positioned uh, 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 approach. What are you hearing? I mean, you always get response. Every time there's a story like this, counselors get phone calls and emails. Uh, and, and even if you want to relate it back to 2012, was was there a consensus one way or another about this? You know, here in Ward 2, uh, in 2012, and, and so far um, it's limited today, I think uh, Mr. Ford grabbed some headlines ahead of Urban Chickens. Uh, however, I'm sure uh, it'll be consistent with the, the kind of support this idea did receive uh, back in 2012. I mean, it was obviously uh, you and I talked about it on a few occasions. It was well covered in the media. Once that occurs, I start hearing from constituents. Constituents, for the most part, showed some support. I think they understood the prevailing argument, which was uh, obviously um, the, the food security argument then, and in that is a prevailing argument still. Uh, there's some additions to what, uh, you know, to the positive side of the issue that uh, Christina brought forward and, and some of the concerns that she showed uh, in her delegation that have been mitigated or, or that can be addressed as it relates to things like odor. Even, I, as I recall, the uh, chicken excrement was an issue uh, five years ago. She says in her delegation, and this is what I wanted staff to prove in a report or a, a recommendation or something, 
that was ultimately denied by planning is that you can actually uh, uh, compost uh, chicken waste where I think five years ago we were told that's not the case. But for the most part, to answer your question, there was support. A lot of folks here in Ward 2 like to uh, think outside the box. They're very progressive uh, and uh, they're very neighborly too. So you know, I think uh, there's another there's another thing, another side of this story, Bill. And I think Councillor Marula mentioned this back in 2012 when we debated this backyard hen deal. There are still folks out there who are doing it under the under the radar. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. I can't personally identify one backyard, but I heard from a few constituents who said, "Hey, my guy, my neighbors next door have uh, a couple of chickens. It's never been a problem." So. You know, we, we shall see at council, uh, I, I, out of respect for a very good delegate uh, who, who's never delegated before, who clearly is passionate about the issue, and, and, and to do something that a lot of councillors do when they appreciate a good delegation, refer it to staff, ask staff to report back. That's all I did, uh, and that's something I'm hopeful that the majority of council, we shall see on Wednesday, uh, agrees with me. On. That's uh, municipal politics. Boy, we can go from uh, light rail transit to, to chickens in the backyard. That's uh, the nature of the beast, I suppose. Jay, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you, Bill. Uh, Jason Farr, of course, the Council for Downtown Award 2. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. We have talked about uh, private members' bills, uh, but there's one very important one that is, uh, once again, on the docket uh, in uh, the very abbreviated uh, term of the legislature before we actually go to uh, to this provincial election. Hamilton East Stony Creek MPP Paul Miller, of course, uh, has introduced what's called Bill E6, or Bill 6, rather, in regards to social assistance and ensuring that uh, people that are receiving social assistance are getting adequate rates. Now, we've talked about this because it's not the first time that Paul has introduced this, but uh, uh, it, and it has had some success. But it just doesn't seem to want to get or can't get because the government, will, for a variety of reasons, uh, doesn't let it get to third reading. I want to bring Paul in. He is the Hamilton East Stony Creek uh, member of Parliament, of course, member of the provincial Parliament. That is, Paul. Thanks for the time. Great, uh, I'm glad I could grab you here today. Good morning, Bill. How are you doing? Good. Let's maybe review uh, uh, exactly what your private members' bill is all about, just to refresh the memories of our listeners. Yeah, it's now Bill Thirty. This is the third uh, kick of the cat. Uh, it was Bill 185, then Bill 6, now Bill 30. Uh, it's, it's an, a bill, it's an act to amend the Ministry of Community and Social Services Act to establish the Social Assistance Research Commission. And uh, the, the purpose of this is to uh, uh, do a evidence-based research for uh, the poverty situation in our province from, from one end to the other. Not, not, not because of, it's not a partisan thing. It's going to be uh, separate from the government, and they will uh, put an annual report into the government, uh, to the ministry, and the minister will then make a statement to the public after the report has gone in. How many, t- how many times have you done this now? This is number three. All right. Uh, third time's the charm, I guess, we hope. We uh, hope. But, well, you've got, well, we'll talk about that. You've got the calendar against you this time. Uh, but let maybe give us the history on this, because this has received uh, uh, some support, at least up to a point anyway. Well, uh, last time I introduced it as Bill 6, uh, Bill, the, uh, uh, it's very unusual for the Premier to show up on a Thursday for private members' bill session. And she showed up, and, and a good Part of her of her caucus was there, and the Tories were well represented, and so were we. And I introduced it, and at the end of the introduction, the Premier and the Liberal Party stood up and gave me a standing ovation. And then I, I sent it to committee, and unfortunately for a year and a half to two years, it's been sitting in committee languishing. Why? 
Good question. Uh, even even um, you know, Mr. McMeekin introduced a similar bill, not as strong as mine, but uh, a couple years before I did the first bill, 185, and uh, he was a government, uh, obviously a government uh, minister at the time, and uh, it uh, it uh, fell short too. So uh, I think they they're talking a good game and they're trying to you know show that they're really sincere about poverty in our province, but are they acting on it? Um, you know they've they've started this new program that is only about I think it does I think it's adequate uh, you know financial assistance to people uh, it's a pilot program and they've only it only touches maybe eight to ten thousand people in the province and there's many 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 more that haven't even been addressed. And, I mean, they have made some inroads into this. I mean, I guess Dalton McGinney was still the premier at the time, but they have member an all-party committee. Francis Lankin was the, the chair of this, and you remember that, Paul, and they yeah. came up with a series of recommendations. They haven't adopted many of them, but, I mean, some of them they have. So I thought, okay, they're ready to move and, and reach across the aisle, if I can use that expression, right. uh, to try to move this forward. And it sounds like your private member's bill is right along that same vein. It is, Bill, and it's uh, it's it's really a nonpartisan thing. It's 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 to help people that are struggling on ODSP and OW and and various other situations. And it's it's you know, it 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 could touch on so many aspects, whether it be dental care, whether eyeglasses, whether it could be, uh, you know, in, in less use of food banks, all kinds of things. And uh, it, it just would be a, a separate. And the people on this committee. Uh, research commission, I should say, would be people that uh, have lived experience, that are, you know, educated lived experience, and there would be social workers, uh, doctors, people that sit on the commission that are in the front lines, and, and, you know, arm's length away from politicians who really may not have a handle on it. There's an element of this that I find very intriguing, uh, and that's uh, how you want to see this process unfold, Paul. I, I mean, if the bill were ever passed, uh, and, and as a reference point, I'll remind our listeners, we had a premier here in this province back in 1995 that arbitrarily cut social service costs with no science or evidence behind it, simply said there's too many scammers in the system, and that he was wrong, but I mean, that he used that as his justification. But you're looking for fact-based uh, uh, movement on here. In other words, the bill doesn't say, I want to jack this up by 20%. It says, let's study it and decide how much, if, if any, the, the rates will go up. Absolutely, you're you're 100% correct, and and I think it would be uh, it would be logical to have people with uh, you know uh, shared experience and people that uh, work in this social work every day that would have an excellent handle on on what areas of the province uh, are not being treated fairly, whether it be First Nations or whether it be Northern communities, and uh, we've got to we've got to level the playing field, and I think that this type of uh, of commission would would be able to do that. Well, and it's the way government should work. Study the issue, find out what the recommendations are, and then the government can act on it. And, 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 and Now listen, quite aside from what goes on during question period and in the legislature, Paul, we know that, that you know in the back rooms and go have a coffee or grab a beer after a session, I mean, MPPs talk no matter what their party affiliation is. Have you got any inkling at all as to why this thing hasn't moved forward? Well, I, I think uh, I think that the uh, you know how it is. It's political bill. You, you're well aware of this. Oh, yeah. uh, how they how they like to take credit for things whether when they're in government, and they have a tendency to uh, to change it or lessen lessen the effectiveness of it uh, to benefit them in an in an, an upcoming election. Uh, they have a tendency to do that, and they to put a you know you put a pilot project in there. It it looks good on paper, and uh, it may help some people, but is it helping the bulk of the people in the province? No. 
So, so this is this is in your mind anyway, just a partisan holdup. This is, but but having said that, I mean your reference about Ted McMeekin's bill a couple of years ago is is an interesting point to this, Paul. Uh, variations on the theme of what you were drawing, and that didn't succeed anyway. I'm I'm, I'm really at this point questioning the you know the I guess the uh, the, the the concern that that's being raised here and. Uh, the the government's commitment, I guess, to trying to do something about this. I, I know they've talked about doing some other things, and you know they've got the fair wage policy and that pilot project. We get that, but this is going to look at the much broader problem because it it cuts across all the lines that we've talked about. And and I have a huge group of uh, of people interested. You know, Tom Cooper's leading the charge, yep. and and then Sally Palmer and Joanne Santusi from the Food Bank, and and you've got. Uh, you know, Speak Now Hamilton, you got the Campaign for Adequate Welfare and Disability, you've got the Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton, you've got the Council of Canadians, you've got the Hamilton City Council, the Hamilton Community Legal Clinic, the McMaster Poverty Initiative, and many other uh, groups throughout the province have shown interest in this. And, and it's, about, it's about helping people, and uh, I'd like to, you know, see people put the political games aside and, and do what's right for the people we represent. So what's the status now? And again, to, to mount the frustration here, of course, you, you've been this far before. You've been uh, around second base heading towards third, and then the premier prorogued the, the legislature, and she did it again just a couple of weeks ago, yeah. uh, which essentially killed all the bills that were on the table, in, including your private member's bill. You've reintroduced this right now, but uh, let's, let's put it this way, Paul. The clock's ticking. Yes. Well, uh, obviously, uh, uh, the, the reason there were twofold reasons for me reintroducing it. Number one, obviously, to put pressure on the government. They talk about poverty. They say they want to help people. Here's an opportunity to get. They could easily put it through in, in a week. Bill. They could. They could. Uh, you know, move it from committee into into third reading. They could do that in six hours, and then they could uh, they could move it on for a royal assent if the government was really serious about it. But Ted McMeekin keeps saying that, oh, well, the NDP are holding it up, that the House leaders are holding it up. Well, that's not really factual because the government has a majority, and usually they get like four or five bills that they want to bring forward, and they give one or two to the Conservatives or the NDP to make it look like a playing field that's reasonably fair. But they have the bulk of the power. They can do it any time they want. And when he says that NDP is holding it up, I don't think so. So uh, I think uh, I think he should be a little more uh, how would I put it upfront with how it really works. Let, let's maybe just backtrack a bit again, and, and I, I don't want to get too far into a tutorial here. But how committees work? Uh, this is a majority government at Queens Park, which means right. that the majority of members on this committee are liberals, of course, because they're the governing party. But there are representatives from the other parties as well. There's five liberals, uh, usually two to three conservatives, and one NDP, and then the chair is usually the uh, is can be it usually is the government, so you've got to, and, and the chair can vote in a in a, in a tie situation, so they they have five they've got they've got the numbers right there. So and again on process, uh, you can't just vote on this in the legislature. It has to go through committee first. Those are the laws, right? R- right. It gets sent to committee. Committee. Uh, they have public hearings. Uh, people can come and say their piece. Then the committee recommends back to back to the uh, for third reading or not. Have they even talked about this? Have they had any public meetings at, at the committee level? Uh, we've certainly had public input from oh, yeah. uh, all the groups that I mentioned, and uh, they 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 have not really uh, gone any further. See, they also have a subcommittee, a subcommittee of one from each party that recommends what goes on the docket for that day on committee. 
So there's like a subcommittee that recommends what they're going to deal with that day, and then the, the government, uh, and then it becomes the, the full, full um, committee. And then after the committee makes their decision, they send it back to, to the House to, to, uh, for third reading, or they just refuse it and it dies there. All right, let's, let's go, first of all look at this from the positive side. Uh, they wake up and have this revelation tomorrow, Paul, and they decide, you know, we're going to put this on the docket, we're going to deal with this at committee, uh, and they pass it. Uh, you know, that's fabulous. When it right. comes back to the House, is it up to the to the House and up to the government as to whether or not they want to deal with it right away, or are they bound yeah, it, to deal it, with it? It's called the order paper bill, yeah, yeah. and they, they bring it back to the, and it gets put on to the order part of the day, and and uh, they call that to discuss and, and debate that during that day, whatever they call, whatever order number it is. And that, that bill can come forward for discussion, and it, the government certainly could do that if they wanted to. So technically, it could pass through the committee level, but the government could still do nothing about it. They could stall it in third reading, yeah. uh, or or they could not even bring it to the order paper. But like I said, this all could be probably all wrapped up within a week or two. They could have it all said and done, delivered if they wanted to. If they really, and wanted. that's what that's what majority governments can do. They can rush anything they want when they want. Yeah, yeah, they they uh, they have. It's called time allocation. Normally, it takes usually nine, ten, eleven hours is norm for for bills to be debated. They can do a time allocation, which is a six hour, and that's done. The premier has already suggested, at least uh, through her actions, that she's supportive of of the the content of this. And when I, I've, I'm shaking my head about this, Paul, is you're not asking for money here. Uh, you're just asking for a committee to be struck to study this and come back with some recommendations. That's that's essentially what this is all about. Yeah, it'd be minimal costs. Oh, uh, sure. Obviously, there's stipends and yeah, you know, and administrative costs. Administrative we get that. Costs. Well, it's it's minimal at best, and I think it would do so much for people struggling in our province. And I just don't. I'm like you. I'm shaking my head. I don't understand why they won't move ahead with it. Uh, for a government that hasn't really minded spending a whole lot of money on administrative costs over the 14 years, it'd be surprising why they wouldn't simply say, yeah, this is a good idea, let's do this. Well, there has been a few dollars wasted, as we know. and, and uh, I've heard. Know, yeah, and I don't understand why th- this wouldn't become a priority for them. Where are, Where is it today? I mean, you know, is it, there a possibility that something could happen on this? Uh, with, uh, with help from people like you and the media and... Uh, pressure from all these groups I mentioned and other groups, it's possible. Um, are they going to look at it? Or are they, are they uh, you know, distracted with, with the Ford Nation? Are, are they, what's, I mean, she's in town today, apparently, to talk to the steelworkers. Uh, that's interesting. And uh, so, yeah, it's possible. Uh, but can, can we step up the pressure enough as, as individual citizens, as media? Can we make them take a good, hard look at it? Yeah, we could. Uh, if we don't get distracted with all the other things that go on during the silly times, I like to call it. And and again, let's quite very quickly. I want to talk about. I mentioned that the clock is ticking here. Uh, you've only got a few days, a few weeks, really, left before they pull the plug on this term of the legislature, don't you? Yeah, the uh, the the writ drops in early May. All right, I think it's the first week of May, and I can't remember the specific day, but I think it's the fourth, fifth, fourth yeah, the fourth or fifth. or fifth, something like that. And once that happens, anything that's on the order paper is is dead. I mean, that's, that's not going to happen. Uh, and then there's the election, and then it's up to the whatever government is formed, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, there, there is a, a time sensitivity to this. I mean, you'd like to see this happen in the next week or two, because uh, if it doesn't, it's probably not going to happen at all. Well, I wouldn't say it wouldn't happen at all, but I'm certainly, I'm still, I'm letting them know I'm still there, 
and I'm still pushing for this because that's how important I think this is. All right. I, I would think then if people want to see some action on this, uh, obviously they're going to say, well, who do we get in touch with? It, it would have to be, I guess, Mr. McMeekin, who was the, the, uh, the government representative in this area. Yeah, a little pressure on Ted wouldn't hurt. That's for sure. Uh, Paul, I, I wish you all the best on this. I know that we've talked about your bill many times on the program with uh, Tom Cooper and, and a number of others who are concerned about dealing with poverty. And, uh, you know, this is a government that, that has said that they want to do something about this and lift people up because we know that poverty costs money. It, it costs money to, to have poor people in the city. Uh, there are increasing policing costs. There are food banks. So there is a, a whole myriad of things that happened because of this, and, and if we and, and health costs too. Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, and we've so, talked yeah. about how what is it? Fifty-two percent of every dollar now is going to health costs. Uh, yeah, we have lineups already at emergency rooms. Yeah. The, this yeah, is one way to alleviate that. That that would uh, be a big help if people had decent living conditions and decent nutrition. That would probably cut down our hospital beds, and I'd say a third. Well, you know, this is something that actually could be a win for this government, if you excuse the bad pun there, that uh, they could yeah. come along and say, look, we're going to be bipartisan about this because this issue counts. Right. And, uh, and you know, just move this thing forward. And as a majority of government, they could make this happen. Uh, you know, what's today? It's April the 4th. I mean, they could right. have this thing done by the middle of the month if they wanted. They could wrap it up by the, probably the third or fourth week of April if they were serious. Well, let's see how serious they are then. Paul, thanks so much for the time and for the update on this, and uh, fingers crossed. I hope you can get some progress on this. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Scott, talk again soon. Paul Miller, Bye. of course, the uh, MPP for Hamilton East Stony Creek and his private members bill. And uh, it's, it's just, look at it, it's a no-brainer. It really is. You know, I think we're far more sensitive about some of these issues than we were and we've got some people in this community that have been working very hard to try to address some of the problems. And it's not just about people that are poor. It's people that are on disability pensions. It's a number of people like that. And, and the bottom line here is they don't make enough money. And, you know, and this is why the government's come back. And I, I applaud them for doing things like the living wage pilot project and, and, of course, the minimum wage, how contentious that is. And those are starts, but it's not going to solve the problem. There are some other problems that need to be addressed. And this bill that Mr. Miller is talking about here simply says, let's have a, a, a committee, a non-political committee that's going to address this, look at this, study this, and come back and say, here are the problems, here are the possible solutions. Then you can have a proper debate about what money needs to be allocated, how much, into which areas. Because it's going to be fact-based as opposed to speculative. And that's how government's supposed to work anyway. And if the government's answer to this is, well, we've already got that information, we're already pursuing it, then say so. But to leave this thing sitting here right now simply because, well, that's not our party that's presenting it, is that really in the best interest of the people that are in a bad way because of the current circumstance here? I don't think so. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.